Let's have all of the men that will come and let's just gather around the altar and take this service to the Lord and just ask the Lord to open our hearts to all that He has for us. Are you glad you're saved tonight? The Lord is good. Thank the Lord for His blessings this morning. Amen? For moving in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, You do save. And You still have the power to save. And You are in the saving business and we thank You, Lord, for demonstrations of that even in the past week. We ask your Lord to continue to open our hearts to all that you are doing. Help us to get in on what you are blessing and what you're doing. Let us be a part of the wonderful things, Lord, that you're up to in these days. So bless the service tonight. Let us grow in grace. Use everything about the service to help us to better know you and to better know your word and to be closer to you. So move now and meet every need and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. You may be seated. We'll have our Awana leaders to come and present the Awana Awards. We're going to start with Chelsea Morrow. She's earning a red jewel. Chelsea learned 18 Bible verses. Next is Joshua Sutton. Joshua is working on his second book for this year. He's earned a red jewel and a silver crown. He learned 13 verses. We're the pals, the third and fourth grade young men, and tonight I wanted to honor Brandon Daggett. He has finished his rank trail in his second year handbook, so tonight he receives his warrior patch. Um, just a reminder, our Olympics is this weekend. The Sparkarama is at 7 o'clock, and then the... Uh, Olympics for the older clubs are at 10 o'clock and it's over. Um, do you know the name of the gym? Vance Gym at Highland Park. Okay, we have um, Lauren Johnson. She's getting her gold torch. She learned 19 verses. And she has 
Archers. And then Abby Hensley, she did 16 verses and did two Bible searches. Let's let Rushers come forward and receive her offering. And let me just remind you real quickly of a couple of things you said on the screen, but I do want to emphasize and remind you that the last Sunday of this month is our spring revival. Brother Wilbur Hurt will be here. He's no stranger here. He's new to many of you, but uh, I want you to start praying about the meeting and lifting it up in prayer in the prayer room. All of the prayer warriors, intercessors during the week, I want you to begin lifting this up to the Lord in prayer. And then something else I want to share with you, and I always listen. I like to talk about giving. Don't you like for me to talk about giving too, don't you? Amen? I can tell you get excited. I, I, one thing I've found here, nothing excites you anymore than me preaching on giving. And I, I like that. Amen? Amen? <laughs> Wave at me. Amen. That's the only time I'd let anybody talk in tongues is for an offering. Amen? But anyway, uh, we, uh, I'm excited about what the Lord is doing here. We started out in the beginning of the year with goals and where we wanted to go and places we wanted to be financially at certain times and different things, eliminating debt. And, we, of course, all the building has been paid for, and we're waiting to get the note back on that. As soon as we get that back, we'll have a special service, have a note burning. But uh, we're reaching goals right now that we had set for August. And I am just amazed at what God is doing, and, and uh, it's just thrilling to see where we're going. The chance to Joash, which is a very important part of us, is coming up in May, and as we get closer to it, tell you more about it. But we're going to do something unique this year, and it'll be the biggest project that we've taken in the chest of Joash. And what we plan on doing this year, and we're having an architect now that is doing drawings and different things like that, but we're going to extend the back of the auditorium, uh, the lobby there, and add restrooms in the back. Now, some of you ought to give at least three or $4,000 a piece. Amen. Some of you ought to do that. But what it'll do, it'll just about uh, double the size of our lobby. And as you come into the main entrance on the front, of course, the whole front will be changed a little bit and uh, just decorate the whole front and the main entrance of the auditorium. But as you come in, there'll be restrooms on each side, and then it'll enlarge the uh, size of our uh, lobby out there. And as well, we're going to have drive-throughs out here, drive-throughs out here where you can actually pull under and be under all these things, out of the weather and access to all of our facilities. So we're really excited about what is being done. As soon as we, the architect gets our drawings or our pictures, artist rendering and thing, we'll get that out in front so you can see. But I want you to start now thinking about praying because it'll be the biggest project that we have done as far as our chest of Joe Ash is concerned. And I want you to pray about your special gift that we'll give on that day and even prior to that. If you'd like to give something and donate it toward the building project you can even write on your check now building fund or chest of joe ash and it will be designated toward that project but i'm i'm looking forward to it it's you'll really like it you're going the, getting the restrooms and again there's some of you honestly i'm going to check your giving that day i've never checked anybody's giving but some of you the running out four or five times during the service use the restroom i'm going to pull your giving records on that week see what you give can i get an amen right there but it will. It, it'll be good. I don't know why uh, the building was not designed with restrooms in the front anyway. So we're excited about this, looking forward to it. And that's coming up in May. So a lot of good things are going on, and I thank God for it. Let's give. Father, we thank you for your blessings, for all the good things you're doing. Continue to bless here. Thank you, Lord, for all the goals you're allowing us to reach. 
And Lord, our hearts are amazed. We're astounded at what we're doing at this point that we felt like it would be in the fall that we'd be doing. And I'm amazed and I thank you for your faithfulness. And you bless those who have a vision. And we thank you for honoring your word and showing us that you'll bless your work if we take your work seriously. So bless the offering tonight and the further part of this service. In Jesus' name, amen.
as we follow after Christ, we all can lead a walk. We can lead a walk to the Savior. Then together we can tell the world that Jesus is the way. If we reach a one, reach one. The message, it's unchanging, going into all the world. And we share the love of Jesus far away or dark. You see, just like somebody told me that Jesus loves me so, I must tell someone who will tell someone until the whole world knows. For each one can reach one as we follow after Christ. Can lead a one, we can lead one to the Savior. Then together we can tell the world that Jesus is the way. If we reach a one, reach one. So will you go and lay? Will you hold high your life? One by one and two by two, we can win our world for Jesus Christ. Each world can reach one as we follow after Christ. Thank you, Ashley. Let's all stand tonight, please, as the choir's coming down. You can turn over page 227 when you get through. But let's get out, shake hands with everyone around tonight, make everyone feel welcome. 227.
the first now. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. now was it for crimes that I have done he groaned upon the tree amazing pity grace unknown and love beyond degree at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there You may be seated. We're going to ask Trio if they'll come now and sing.
I feel the touch of hands so kind and tender. That I must draw. I'll have no fear, for Jesus walks beside me, and I'm sheltered in the arms of Let's take God's word and be finding 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the book of 1 
Corinthians chapter 13, and we continue tonight making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll pick up where we left off last Sunday night. While you're finding your place, let me say it, it's been a delight to have Marla's parents with us today from Manassas, Virginia. Good to have them. They're in the back. It's been a joy to have them with us. And uh, it's been a joy to have the Humphreys with us today. Good to have them in the services and always a blessing to see them. Brother Smith, good to have you back tonight. Good to have you and, and a couple here. Is it Scott? Good to have them back tonight with us. Just before I bring the message, I want Brother Arlen Smith to come. And uh, he is one of our faith learners throughout this semester. And they had a real blessing on Thursday night. I want him to come and just take a minute and uh, share with you about what the Lord is doing through faith. Well, uh, let me begin by saying sometime, uh, I believe it was last fall, in fact, I know it was during, during my mother's illness, I begin to think about the verse, Matthew uh, 6.33, I believe it is, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I've been uh, thinking about that. It's been really uh, imprinted upon my mind for the past uh, few weeks and months. And then <clears throat> sometime after the uh, first of the year, a uh, preacher sent us a letter, asked us if we'd be interested in and uh, he said, make a commitment for 16 weeks to be here every Thursday night for training. Well, what I didn't realize that it was going to require a lot of studying on my part. And, uh, you know, you've heard the old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But anyway, it's, it has been a blessing. It's uh, certainly been a blessing to uh, study and learn uh, uh, not a... Not a new method, probably, but a, a different method of presenting the gospel. And um, then this past, uh, uh, we've, we've been out several times, but this past Thursday night, uh, Loray and Brian and myself went over to uh, uh, Rosie King's house, and, uh, and her son was there. We went especially to see him, uh, Brother George Bolton, and uh, we had the... Uh, privilege of seeing him uh, say brother brother Brian gave him the, the gospel plan and and he received Christ in fact he came to the altar this morning and uh, presented himself down here so uh, we're already seeing fruit and you continue to pray I think uh, probably the, the greatest thing this church can do is get involved in the prayer ministry and uphold uh, those that are working and and uh, just uphold our pastor and our church thank you Amen. Praise the Lord. What a blessing. And then the young man that came and got right to the Lord or came to the altar this morning, the other faith team visited him on Thursday night. So that, that is a real blessing. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing in faith. 1 Corinthians 13. Before I ever get started, just let me give you a warning. No, I'm just kidding. I just want to get your attention. I knew that'd wake you up. I knew that would. We've been making our way through this section here, and 
And I want to say that uh, this week has been a very, very good week and a very enlightening week as I have studied the Scriptures. I like it uh, those times when you just like you see something you've never seen before and as you study a passage you think you know everything about it and then all of a sudden you run across something that just really unlocks it. It's just, you know, that's the amazing thing about studying the Bible. You can take a passage of Scripture and study it and study it and study it and study it and study it. And each time you go back, you learn more out of it. That's the amazing thing about the Word of God. And I have to say this particular passage here uh, has really been a... This week, the Lord has really just uh, helped me in some areas here and, and uh, understanding this passage. And I've had certain views about it, and I must confess to you, I have presented these views and whatever... But uh, my study this week has kind of just jarred my previous view and, and a couple of, just, just because of two verbs that we'll look at in just a moment, and just made me look at the whole passage in an altogether different pass in a different viewpoint. Now let me go on record and say that looking at it different than maybe what I have looked at before doesn't change anything I have said in the past. I've often said when it came to uh, things, and of course, I, I've tried, I, I don't know if I have or not, but I've tried to make myself clear over the past couple of weeks how I feel about certain things. I don't know if I've got that through or not, uh, how I feel, but I've tried my best. And, uh, but when it comes to uh, such things as tongues and things like that, uh, I, I've often put this way, that it's an area that I don't have any wobble room in. There's an area, that is an area that I do not have any wobble room in. And I really thought the screws were very tight, this very tight about what I believe about the thing. But I'm going to tell you something. What have just helped me see this week, uh, let me, the best way I know how to do it, the screws have been very tight. But, buddy, it sunk the head this week. Amen. <laughs> if I had any wobble room, whatever. But uh, we'll look at it tonight, and I hope it'll be a help to you. I want you to stand as we continue looking at the Scriptures. Tonight I want us to think about this thought, they shall cease. They shall cease. And then as we come back next week, we get into chapter 14, which deals primarily with tongues. We have kind of brought it in, and we're not just focusing on tongues, but just learning about gifts. But in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 8, the Bible said, Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly but then face to face now i know in part but then shall i know even as also i am known and now abideth faith hope charity these three but the greatest of these is charity thank you, you may be seated let's pray and tonight let's continue our study of the book of first corinthians father in jesus name you have reminded us tonight through music of the great task that is before us of winning people to Jesus Christ. I thank you, dear Lord, for those who went out the past week and 
presented the gospel, and then another one was born in the family of God. We thank you for that. And we ask you, Lord, that in the days to come, that each one of us would be a tool in your hand for reaching someone else for Jesus Christ. Father, we realize as we studied the subject of spiritual gifts that you have gifted us to minister. You have gifted us that we might be servants of God. You have gifted us that we might be equipped by you to do a work for you. So I pray tonight that you'd speak to us and help us as we continue studying the Word of God, magnify Jesus Christ through us, and we'll praise you and thank you for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think about an interesting list of gifts that I recently came across. We've been talking about spiritual gifts, or rather Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and 13, and we've been looking at what he had to say. But I think about a man by the name of John Ortberg, and he has given us what he calls seven true spiritual gifts for today's church. Now listen to these seven. Seven true spiritual gifts for today's church. Gift number one, nursery worker. And he said, this is based on Mark 10, 14, suffer the little children to come to me. Anyone who believes this verse is or should be in the Bible as nursery worker for his or her dominant gift. Can I get an amen there? And second of all, giving. He said, this is the dominant gift for anyone who makes more money than I do. And I agree with that. He said, gift number three is criticism. Although not actually mentioned in the text, this is in fact the most widely practiced gift in the church today. So the academy has finally voted that it be officially recognized. Gift number four, he writes, Amway. And he says, discretion forbids me to say any more. Gift number five is a wedding hostess. You don't really need the inventory for this one, he says, since anyone with this gift could be identified blindfolded. There are people, they are, these are people who in other life circumstances would have grown up to be General Patton or Turkish prison guards. In churches that are truly gift-based, the wedding hostess actually functions as the senior pastor. Gift number six is a kitchen hostess. This is to the wedding hostess what minor leagues are to the majors, a place where promising rookies can get experience and fading veterans can enjoy a last fling at playing the game before it's time to hang up the spikes. And then gift number seven, he says, is helping people discover their spiritual gifts. So many of you have those gifts, gift of giving, the gift of nursery workers, wedding hostess, all of those great gifts of the church of Jesus Christ today. Can I get an amen right there? Well, being serious, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, in chapter 12, 13 and 14, has been talking about the matter of spiritual gifts. As he stated in chapter 12, verse 1, it is his desire that the Corinthian believers as well as all other believers have a proper understanding of spiritual gifts. Believers were sadly lacking in, it was in the matter of love. They had all kinds of problems as we have seen as we have made our way through 1 Corinthians. But if there was a problem, if they were lacking in anything, it was in the matter of love. Paul said you come behind in no gift, but they come seriously behind when it came to the matter of love. And 1 Corinthians 13 is actually a continuation of chapter 12, and Paul is showing that spiritual gifts lose their effectiveness if they do not operate in love. 
In other words, it doesn't do you any good or me or anyone else any good if you go through the motions and you do not love. Your gifts are not effective. In verses 8 through 13, Paul stresses the importance of love by stating that there is a permanence about love. You notice in verse 8 that he writes, Charity never faileth. See those words? Love or charity never faileth. The word faileth that he uses here is a word that was used of a flower or a leaf that withers away, falls to the ground, and then decays. Paul is simply stating that love will never decay, that love will never pass away, that love is a permanent part of Christianity in this world and in the world to come. And he wants us to know that of all the things that are temporary, there is one thing that will abide throughout the ages, and that is love. And then to reinforce the permanence of love, he speaks of the impermanence of certain spiritual gifts. Paul shows that there are certain spiritual gifts in chapter 13 that are temporary in nature. And there are three particular gifts that he speaks of that he points out to use to reinforce the permanence of love. And the gifts are these, the, the, matter, the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge, and the gift of tongues. Now, I want to just say this, and then we'll move into the text tonight. What Paul had to say about these three spiritual gifts and how that they are temporary in nature is very, very important in having a proper understanding of spiritual gifts. So let's look at them tonight and these verses, and let me just break them down into two categories. First of all, I want you to notice in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13, that he talks about that which will cease. That which will cease. Notice verse 8. He says, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now again, he gives three gifts in verse 8. There is the gift of prophecy, there is the gift of knowledge, and there is the gift of tongues. Now, three gifts, but you could really put these two gifts into two different categories. And I say you could put them in two different categories because of two verbs that Paul uses to describe their temporary nature. Again, this is something that unlocked the text to me this week to see how that he uses different words in reference to different gifts here. Let me break them down in these two categories. First of all, he talks about the gifts that will become unnecessary. There are the gifts, plural, that will become unnecessary. I want you to notice these two statements. Notice in verse 8 the statement, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. And then notice the next statement, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. I want you to notice the word fail. And I want you to notice the words vanish away. They are actually the same word. You could read it this way. Whether there be prophecies, they shall vanish. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Or you could read it, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be knowledge, it shall fail. Those are the same words. And it is a verb that means to render useless, to make inoperative to reduce to a point of inactivity. 
In other words, when Paul speaks about prophecy and he says in verse 8 that prophecy shall fail, he is saying that there would come a time that prophecy would be rendered inoperative. When he talks about the matter of the gift of knowledge, he is saying there would come a time that the gift of knowledge would be reduced to inactivity. In other words, he is telling me there is going to come a time that the gift of prophecy and the gift of knowledge will no longer be necessary. Now let me just point out a thing or two about this particular word that he uses here. The tense of the words that he used, the tense of this verb, indicates that something or someone would cause them to become inoperative. And what that something is is found down in verse 10 when he talks about when that which is perfect will come. And we'll look at that in just a little while. But what Paul is stating about prophecy and about knowledge is that one of these days that which is perfect will come. And when that which is perfect will come, then the gift of prophecy and the gift of knowledge will be rendered inoperative and will no longer be necessary. Now once again, let me remind you what the gift of prophecy and what the gift of knowledge is. You remember in our previous studies, we looked at the gift of prophecy and we saw that the word prophecy just simply means to speak forth or to proclaim. We often think about prophecy in the terms of prediction, predicting the future. But the word prophecy does not necessarily carry the ideal of prediction, though that might be involved in it or might be included in it. But the word itself simply means to speak forth or to proclaim. When you talk about the matter of prophesying, you're talking about proclaiming the revealed truth of God. You're talking about those that are divinely enabled by God to proclaim the revealed truth of the Lord. It is one of the speaking gifts, if you remember when we talked about the three categories of gifts. When you talk about the gift of prophecy, you're talking about those that at times receive revelation from God and thereby communicate it to the people of God. They did not have a Bible as we know. In those days, Paul could not get up and say, turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark 14. They didn't have the book of Mark. He did not get up. He could not say to them, I want you to look in First or Second Timothy. I want you to open your Bibles. They did not have a Bible. And one of the ways that God gave his word was through holy men of God as they spake being moved by the Holy Ghost. In other words, God gave his word to them. He revealed truth to them and they in return communicated that truth. That was sometimes involved in the gift of prophecy. But most of the time, the gift of prophecy simply was proclaiming revealed truth, truth that had already been revealed. In either case, whether truth coming from God and being given, communicated, or truth already revealed and being proclaimed, in either case, Paul was saying there's coming a time when the gift of prophecy would no longer be necessary. He also mentioned the gift of knowledge. If you recall in our past studies, we saw that the gift of knowledge is simply the divine ability to grasp the meaning of God's revelation. Prophecy is whereby that revelation is proclaimed and the gift of knowledge is the ability to comprehend revealed truth. It indicates a special spiritual knowledge. And again, when Paul talks about the uh, gift of knowledge and the gift of prophecy, he is saying that one of these days, these gifts would no longer be necessary. The perfect would come, and then we would have complete knowledge. He's talking about two gifts distinguished by one word there that helps us to understand here are two gifts that at some point 
are no longer necessary. But look at the second thing. You have the gifts that would become unnecessary, but you have the gift, singular, that would become unused. Now look at it. Look in verse 8. You see that Paul in verse 8 not only refers to the gift of prophecy and the gift of knowledge that would be rendered inoperative at some point, but you also read about a third gift, and he says, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. I want you to underscore the word cease for just a moment. I said the word fail and the word vanisheth away is the same word referring to that which will be rendered inoperative and whatever. But you'll notice the word cease here. It is an altogether different word. It is a word that simply means to stop. It means to come to an end. It means to leave off. And the tense of the verb that is used here it indicates that tongues would automatically cease of themselves. When it was used of a person, it indicated an intentional, voluntary action upon oneself. When it was used of an inanimate object, it indicated a self-causing action. But what he's saying is here that tongues would some point cease of themselves. Now the difference between the two words that is used when referring to prophecy and knowledge in tongues is that the word that was used to prophecy and knowledge is that they would be stopped by something outside themselves. Now follow me closely. He's saying that there would come a day that prophecy would be unnecessary. And he said one of these days when that which is perfect has come, it will render prophecy inoperative. It will no longer be necessary. And the gift of knowledge, he said, when that which is perfect is come, is going to render the gift of knowledge inoperative. So he's told about a word and using the word indicating that these gifts one day will be rendered inoperative by something outside of themselves. But the word that is used for tongues means they will simply stop of themselves. Prophecy will stop, will cease, and and and. and and uh, knowledge will cease due to something else. But tongues is a different story. He is saying that tongues would just come to an end all by themselves. And I think there's a reason. I think about an illustration that John MacArthur gives in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. And I think it's a very good illustration. He describes the gift of tongues as that like being of a battery. A battery which has limited, limited energy and a limited lifespan. And Paul, he, he declares basically the same thing of tongues. He is telling us in verse 8 that tongues has a very limited lifespan and that somewhere it would just simply end in and of itself. That there would come a time that the gift of tongues would no longer be used. That's what he's saying. He's saying a prophecy that would come a time that it would no longer be necessary. When he's talking about knowledge, there would come a time that knowledge would no longer be necessary. But when he come to tongues, he's saying there will come a point that tongues will no longer be used. And it all had to do with the matter of when that which is perfect has come. But notice verse 9. You see, as for the gift of prophecy, it will no longer be necessary due to the coming of the perfect. But notice carefully that the ceasing of tongues has nothing to do with the coming of that which is perfect. Now, this is very important to see. You notice verse 9. For we know. He's talking about the gift of knowledge. We know in part. 
and we prophesy the gift of prophecy in part. Now, you notice it carefully. In verse 8, he mentions three gifts, but in verse 9, he's already forgot about the matter of tongues. He now begins to talk about the gift of knowledge, and he begins to talk about the gift of prophecy. And what he has to say in verse 11 has to do with the gift of knowledge. It has to do with the gift of prophecy. He doesn't have anything to do with tongues. He says we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then we will know fully. What he again, let me repeat it, understand this, that the gift of knowledge and the gift of prophecy will be done away when that which is perfect is come. But for tongues... It didn't matter whether that which is perfect has come or will come. They will cease in and of themselves. It has nothing to do with the coming of the perfect. They would just suddenly cease. He's making it very clear. Now listen to me. That the gift of tongues is a temporary gift that somewhere would cease to exist and would cease to be used. Now follow me for just a moment. It didn't need any kind of outside influence. It didn't need the coming of the perfect. It didn't need anything else. Just somewhere they would just end in and of themselves. Now I think, I think that is very clearly taught or demonstrated throughout the Bible. I have said that the gift of tongues was a sign gift. And because it was a sign gift, then it ended with the apostolic age. But I think you find this borne out as you look through the Word of God. When you look at the subjects of tongue, subject of tongues in the Bible, and by the way, let me just say this, that when the Bible uses the word tongues, it is a word that speaks of another language. The Bible never has, when it talks about tongues, it never speaks of some ecstatic utterance. It is not talking about the repeating of syllables or some heavenly language. When the Bible talks about tongues, it is always talking about another language. Understand that. But it's a sign gift. And when you look at this gift throughout the Bible, you'll find, this is an interesting thing, that tongues really did just exactly what Paul said here. That tongues would just somewhere just end of themselves and they would no longer be used. That's what he's meaning when he says they will cease, for example. Do you realize that the discussion of tongues in the Bible are in the earliest books of the Bible? The book of 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest books that was written in the New Testament, if not the earliest book in the New Testament. And the book of Acts, which is a history of what went on. But 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest books, if not the earliest book, and it talks about tongues. But you ever notice something? You don't have tongues mentioned in 1 and 2 Timothy, which was written later. You don't have anything mentioned in 1 and 2 Peter. You don't have anything mentioned about tongues in Titus. You'll find that the only place that tongues is even mentioned is in the earlier books of the Bible. And when the other books of the Bible come along, it almost indicates that even by then, tongues were ceasing or they were no longer in use. You look in the book of Acts. Even now, in, uh, the last time you find the gift of tongues is in Acts chapter 19. And after Acts 19, it's no longer even mentioned. And when you look at tongues in the book of Acts, it appears that it, uh, that it, it, that it was for a limited time period of time and there's very limited usage of tongues in the book of Acts. There's only three times you find anybody talking in tongues in all of the Bible. It was not some phenomenon bouncing from place to place and spreading like wildfire. One, two, three 
times is all that you have. And after that, that it's not even mentioned. Again, it would almost indicate as you follow the history of the church that as time went by, that tongues ceased or were no longer used. Mark your place and turn to Hebrews 2. I want you to look at Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4. Now, Paul said tongues will cease. That is, they'll just simply end in, of themselves. They will cease to be used. And when you look at the Bible, some of the latter books of the Bible, you don't even have mention of them. Now, doesn't that maybe raise a question that even by then, the gift of tongues was ceasing in and of itself. Are you following me? Are you following me? Look in Hebrews 2, verse 3 and 4. I, I want you to see, I've read this and preached from this, but I never caught this until this week. Hebrews 2, verse 3 and 4, the Bible said, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. How was it confirmed unto us by them that heard him and whatever? Verse 4, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Now hold your place in Hebrews 2 for just a moment. There's several things I see in that text. For one thing, it is very clear that there were certain gifts that were sign gifts. He talks about being confirmed. He talked about God bearing them witness. How did God bear these apostles' witness? He bore them witness with signs and wonders and divers' miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. It's like God bearing them witness was putting his stamp of approval upon them and he was giving them certain gifts to say, these boys are the real article. They are bringing a message, so great salvation, and God bore witness that their message was right by signs and wonders. It's very clear that there were certain gifts that were signs. They were the way God bore witness. But it's also clear from the statement that those who had those gifts were apostles. Hebrews 2, verse 3 and 4, those who had these signs and those who were witnessed by God with these signs and wonders was not everybody, but those that we call apostles. He says, he speaks of those that had heard the Lord. Or we put it another way, those who had been with the Lord, which was one of the requirements of an apostle. And you find in Hebrews 2 and 3 that these gifts were uniquely tied to apostle. But here's what I want you to say. Notice carefully that when the writer speaks of the confirmation brought by these gifts, he talks about it in the past tense. He says they was or were confirmed. Everything he says about these signs and wonders, these apostles and God witnessed to, he talks about it as something that happened in the past. Now, you'll find as you look here that when you find this, the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, whatever like that, but it was written somewhere around 67 or 68 A.D. And by 67, 68 A.D., somewhere around 70 A.D., he's talking about these sign gifts as if they were something that happened in the past. It would almost indicate and seem to suggest that even at 67, 68 A.D., they were already ceasing. They were already coming to ending of their self. In fact, you look at church history. And you'll find that in church history that the gift of tongues quickly, quickly passed away. 
They cease to have importance in the church. They cease to have usage in the church. And the gift of tongues was unused in church for nearly 1,900 years. You take the early church fathers and you'll find that the gift of tongues is never advocated or condoned by any of our church fathers. I think of Clement of Rome. He wrote a letter to the Corinthian church 80 in the year 95, only about 80 years after 1 Corinthians was written. And he wrote a letter to the church of Corinth discussing problems in that church. This seems to have a, be a church that had a reputation for trouble. Paul's writing them here. And then in the year 95, about 80 years later, uh, Clement of, one of Rome is writing them a letter discussing some of those problems in the church. But when he wrote the church of Corinth discussing the problem, he didn't even mention tongues. It would appear by the year 95 that the use and the misuse of tongues had already ceased in the church of Corinth. Justin Martyr of the second century visited many of the churches in his day and he wrote large volumes of writings. But in all of his voluminous writings, he never mentioned tongues. He lists spiritual gifts, but tongues are never among his spiritual gifts. Origen, a brilliant church scholar who lived during the third century, he made no mention of tongues. In fact, in, in a case against Celsus, he explicitly argued that the sign gifts of the apostolic age were temporary and were not exercised by Christians of his day. Christendom, considered by many to be the greatest of the post-New Testament writers. He lived from 347 to 407 and writing on 1 Corinthians 12 stated that tongues and other miraculous gifts had not only ceased but in that day could not even be accurately defined. Augustine in writing in his comments on Acts 2-4 wrote, In the earliest times the Holy Spirit fell on them that believed and they spake with tongues and these signs were adapted for that time for their behoove to be that betoking of the Holy Spirit. The thing was done for the betoking and it was passed away. You'll find in church history, now listen to me. Paul said, now tongues, they're going to just pass away. You'll find in church history that it, or somewhere even about 70 A.D., that the church was beginning to do away with tongues. Even as far back as 70 A.D., the early church and the early church fathers had already ceased to use the gift of tongues. It just kind of passed away on itself. It was no longer used. And you look back through history, these 1,900 years, the only exception in those first few hundred years was in a movement by one Montanus who was considered to be a heretic, and he believed that divine revelation continued through him beyond the New Testament. Now, you listen to me carefully. Anybody that gets up and says, I know what is in the Bible, but this is an addition to the Bible. You mark it down, Revelation 22 tells them you can't add anything to the Bible and you can't take anything away from the Bible. And if they tell you they're giving you something more than the Bible, mark them down as a false prophet. Can I get that saying amen there? Mark it down. And Montanus, he believed he was getting further revelation. That was the only one. That was in the first few hundred years. It was not until about the 17th and the 18th century that any tongues surfaced again. And that was among several Roman Catholic groups in Europe, the Seven Alls and the Jansenists and the Shakers in New England. And it was in the 19th century that the Irvingites of London began to practice tongues. But listen to me. But for nearly 1,800 years... 
Nearly 1,800 years, the gift of tongues and other so-called miraculous gifts was unknown in church life and unknown in doctrine. It was not until 1906 in Azusa Street in Los Angeles that tongues became a major emphasis and became the phenomenon that it is today. And they say that's based on the early rain, the latter rain, Joel chapter 2, and that is a perversion of what Joel said in Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2 and whatever like that. But here's what Paul said. Tongues are just going to stop being used. He said they shall cease. They'll cease in and of themselves. It doesn't matter any outside. He just said they'll just stop being used. And you find, now listen to me, that even as, as close as near as about 70 A.D., they had already began to cease to use the gift of tongues. He talks about gifts that would no longer be necessary and gifts that would no longer be used. Are you following me now? Let me give you a second thing. Not only does he talk about that which would cease, but he talks about that which would come. Beginning in verse 9, Paul leaves the subject of tongues. And he focuses upon the gift of prophecy and he focuses upon the gift of knowledge. And he speaks of them in the light of that which would come. And he speaks of them in the light of that which would come as that which is partial and that which is perfect. Now notice these two things. You notice in verse 9, he talks about a partial knowledge. He said in verse 9, we know in part we prophesy in part. Now keep in mind that the gifts of knowledge and prophecy had to do with the comprehension of truth and they had to do with the proclamation of truth. And Paul says, right now we have a partial understanding. We know in part, and because there is a partial understanding, then even our proclamation is a partial proclamation. He is saying we have a limited knowledge and therefore we are limited in what we can proclaim. He illustrates that beginning in verse 12. He begins explaining in verse 12. He said, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. You see the words glass darkly? They literally describe a mirror. The Corinthians were famous for their highly polished metal mirrors. Now you can imagine that a metal mirror would give you a reflection. That you could take a piece of metal and buff it and shine it and look in that metal and it would give you a reflection but it would give you an imperfect reflection. In fact the word darkly that is used here gives us our word enigma and is a word that means obscure that which is only partially accurate. And when he says you look in a glass darkly, he had in mind those mirrors used by the Corinthians, and he said you can look in there and you can get a reflection and you can get an image, but yet it is an imperfect image. It is a limited image. In fact, what he's telling us is that we, as a believer, with all that we can know, we really do not know it all, and we cannot know it all in this life. You realize, now listen to me. Now, this Bible, I got in my hand. Now, listen to me. I want you to understand something. This is the Word of God. Amen. I want to go on record and say there's not a word in this Bible that should not be in this Bible. There is not a word that's been left out of this Bible 
that should be in this Bible. I read all these scholars and whatever, and they read about certain ones and how this portion, they don't know if it's the Word of God. Now, you're looking at one little here, but it don't have a lot of sense, but I do believe this. God gave us His Word. He not only inspired His Word, but He preserved His Word. He made it very clear in Psalms that He would provide His Word for every generation. So when I hold this Bible in my hand, I come to this Bible knowing this is the Word of God. And I can read every word of it believing it's the Word of God. And I can look at every page and know this is God's Word because I believe in divine preservation. God making His Word available to every generation. And when we come to this, this is the Word of God is complete. There is not a book here that should not have been in the Bible. There is not a bunch of books that should have been in here that is not in here. They may have found four or five and a few vases and whatever that ought to be in the, they say ought to be in the Bible. But no, this is God's Word. All 66 books this is what He wants to have. That's why we've got it. But I want you to understand something. It teaches us about God and it reveals much to us about God. All that we know about God, we know through His Bible. What we know about eternal things comes from the revealing of God's Word. And what we know about Jesus and what we know about the Holy Spirit and what we know about the things of God, how do we learn them? This is God's revealed truth. This is how we know about God. But I want you to understand something now. Even though we have a complete Bible, God didn't tell us everything about Himself. God didn't tell us everything about himself. God didn't tell us everything about eternal things. You take the matter of heaven. Realize we know a lot of things about heaven, but there's a lot of things about heaven we don't know. God just give us enough to make us want to go there. And just let us get a glimpse through the, some peepholes in the glory at how wonderful heaven is to make every one of us want to go there one of these days. But we don't know everything about heaven. Even though we have a complete Bible, God does not reveal everything to us. We have, in one sense, a limited knowledge. It's like looking in a metal mirror. We see in God's Word and what God has allowed us to reveal gives us an image, but yet it's not a complete image. It is not a total image. It is not a perfect knowledge. It is a partial knowledge. As we stand here tonight, we only have a partial knowledge of all that God is. And throughout all of eternity, we're going to be learning about our God. We only have a partial knowledge of eternal things. But notice verse 10. He not only talks about a par partial knowledge, but he talks about a perfect knowledge. Look in verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now Paul makes it very simple. He says that declares that our partial knowledge will one day become a perfect knowledge. And he even gives an illustration of it in verse 11. He said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Translated more modern terms, I put away Nintendos and these kind of things like that. <laughs> Amen? No, Paul, when he wrote that word state, he was no doubt thinking of the Jewish custom of a boy becoming a man. A Jewish male was considered a boy until his bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah simply means a son of the law. And at his bar mitzvah, the boy, usually at the age of 12, he was considered to be a man. And Paul was saying that as a child, when he's a child, he talked like a child. He had the comprehension of a child. He had the mind of a child. Therefore, he acted like a child. But when he came with man, he put away childish things. In other words, he began to act like a man. You might say with our partial knowledge, we are as a child. Our comprehension is of a child. 
Even though we know many, many wonderful things about God is given in His Word, but yet when you think about all there is to know of God, our comprehension is not much more than the child of the world around Him. It is a partial knowledge, but He's saying that one of these days that we will have a perfect knowledge and we'll come to the place where there is no longer a limited knowledge, but a mature and a complete knowledge. Now the question is this. What did he mean when he said, when the perfect is come? Now, you, many of you are Bible students. Some of you have already called me about this. And you are Bible students, and you know in your studies that there are all kinds of ideals about what is meant. And I'm going to tell you tonight, I am an authority in this matter. I'm going to tell you tonight, nobody really knows. But I'm going to tell you what I think he says. Many of them most believe that what he's talking about, that which is perfect, he is speaking of the completed word of God. That one day God would have the completed word, and when the completed word was given, then the gift of prophecy and knowledge would pass away. We would have perfect knowledge. But yet again, we don't have perfect knowledge. Others believe that he was talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And still others hold to the view that he's talking about the eternal state of the believer, that eternal state that is entered into when we die, or that eternal state that we enter into at the rapture. Now, listen, listen. The closer I look at it, I have always said that I really believe that he's talking about when that which is perfect has come, that he's talking about the completed word of God. But there was always a little phrase there that hung me up. And I did like most of the Bible scholars. You've ever noticed in studying commentaries that what you're having trouble with, they usually pass over? When you get hung up on something, when you go to a commentary, you get it down. When they get to that very thing, you read through tons and tons of words you don't even know what they're talking about and read through all this and get down to what you're trying to find. They jump over it too. They don't have any idea of more than you do. But the more I look at it, and that little phrase, face to face, I couldn't fit that in. And I, it, it, didn't, it didn't quite make sense to me. Uh, how Face to face in the Bible, the word used... They're talking about look, just looking one person face to face to face. The more I look at it, just well, I say where Paul said, for now, but then face to face, then shall I know as I am known. Uh, even more, and more so this week, I'm beginning to lean to that he's talking about the eternal state of the believer. That in our eternal state, he's saying that we are going to have a complete knowledge. We will no longer have an incomplete knowledge. And it all, and the reason I go in this direction, because there's two little verbs there, it changed the whole thing. And there will come a day when we'll no longer have an incomplete knowledge. The gift of prophecy, which is the proclaiming of truth, there'll come a day that we won't have to proclaim truth anymore. There'll come a day that we'll live in the very presence of He that is truth. And our knowledge will no longer be imperfect, but we'll abide in a complete knowledge of the things of God. Either way you want to look at it. You want to be wrong, I want to be whatever, it doesn't really make any difference because it don't have anything to do, when we use it for tongues, tongues don't have anything to do with that which is perfect. He said, made it very clear, they'll just end of themselves. The prophecy, the proclaiming of truth and the understanding of truth that one day will pass away. When we reach that eternal state, We'll no longer need the proclaiming of the truth, as I said. We will dwell in truth. And we'll no longer uh, have a partial knowledge, but a perfect knowledge. But what he's saying is, 
that prophecy, proclaiming truth, will pass away. It'll cease and knowledge will cease. But he said in verse 13, And now abide faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. The point that Paul is making to the Corinthian believers is, now here's what I want you to get. They, their big thing was gifts. Gifts, and especially the showy gifts. I mean, this was the church of Corinth, and we're going to look at it in the day, in, in chapter 14. You're going to find out how things were going. Their services was very common to the modern-day charismatic services. And we'll look at how things were going, and Paul says, no, 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 here's certain regulations about the matter. But their big thing was showy gifts. Everybody wanted tongues. Everybody wanted to be able to heal. Everybody wanted to cast out demons. Nobody didn't want the gift of helps. Nobody didn't want the gift of government. They wanted all the showy gifts. And so that was their big issue and that was their big thing. But Paul said, I want you to understand something. Whether it be the gift of tongues that will cease of itself or prophecy or knowledge that will cease whenever that perfect has come, whatever that might be. He said, I want you to understand something about all the gifts that every one of them are temporary. That somewhere, sometime, all of them are going to pass away. But the one thing that will abide throughout eternity is love. And he is saying that in heaven we will celebrate the love of God. We'll be a family that loves one another. All the gifts, whatever they are, big, little, showy, whatever. He said they're all going to pass away. But love, which is the greatest, will abide throughout all of eternity. In other words, what he's saying to me is that no matter what I do, I am to be motivated by love loving one another, caring for one another. He said, all these shall cease, but love will abide. Let's stand our feet. You know, what it, I guess you could say, Paul said, you're so focused upon what is temporary, won't you get locked in on what's eternal? And I guess I think about all that 1 Corinthians 13 says to us tonight, is to live for that which will last. Live for eternal things. Don't get caught up in all these other things. Live for that which is eternal. Put Jesus first. Glorify God. Learn what your gifts are. Reach one. Spread the gospel around the world. Just live for that which will last for all eternity. We're going to sing one stanza after I pray in just a moment. There may be someone that needs to come, that needs to come and pray for some reason some various purpose we ask you to come. You may want to come as we asked you to do last Sunday night and just say, Lord, fill me with love so that I serve you in love, that I operate in love, that I do what glorifies you in love. Will you do that? Whatever it might be. Lord, help me to know my gifts so that I can serve you effectively. Help me to know what you want me to do and how you've equipped me to serve God. Whatever it might be. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that is ours. Lord, even though our knowledge of you is partial, what little you've showed us, Lord, amazes us. We stand in awe of the God that you are. What limited knowledge that we have of eternal things, Lord, is enough to cause us to worship throughout all of eternity. But yet to know there's so much more to know about you and so much more to know about eternal things. Father, help us to grow. Help us not to get sidetracked by some experience. Lord, help us to become believers grounded in truth and eternal things so that we abide in that which is eternal and not be fooled by the counterfeits of this world.
Lord, help us to grow, help us to mature to be all that we should be. Speak to hearts tonight. Fill us with love, because really, Lord, you're talking about love. Help us to love. Help us to minister in love. Father, it doesn't do any good to teach your word or preach your word or sing or serve you when our hearts are full of hatred for someone else. It renders all that we do ineffective. Lord, that which makes effective our service for you is a heart of love, an unconditional love, an enduring love, a Christ-like love. So fill us with this kind of love. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.